Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Bator of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Woo! That was a that was much happier, you know, I feel like normally you're like, and I'm Rihanna, but today you're like, and I'm Rihanna! <laughs> it's because I wanted to change it up. I just was feeling energized today. I understand. I feel like sometimes the, and I'm Ashlyn, I feel like we're on The View, you know, or doing oh, like a TV is, interview. Yeah. This is fresh air from NPR. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Terry Gross. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Erin O'Toole. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So before we start our podcast today, a couple of announcements. Number one, there is a bird in Ashland's chimney. So if you hear it, just be glad that you heard it because it's wild that there's a bird in the chimney. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's quiet for a while. I haven't heard it chirp it a little bit. So if you hear a bird chirping right now for this podcast, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> And we are almost finished with our love and affection series. We have this episode right now that's happening. And yep. then we have Lower Decks. And then we are complete with our love and affection series. And we actually, we, I mean Ashlyn, has some very exciting personal news that would be perfect to share about our love and affection series, Ashlyn, if you feel like sharing. <laughs> oh, I definitely feel like sharing. I just got engaged this week, so I'm very freaking excited because of some crazy circumstances because my now fiance, I've talked about him on the pod, he's a trumpet player. He got a job in the military band, so he has to go to boot camp, but he and all his recruiters and all of our friends in the military say we got to get married before he goes to boot camp. So I'm engaged and I'm getting married on April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Literally no fooling. This is Literally <laughs> no fooling. That was the soonest day we could get a marriage license. So here we are. <laughs> Yeah. And But it's kind of amazing because every time we tell someone, they always say, is it April Fool's Day? You're getting married in a week? What? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be perfect. Yeah. And it's also kind of amazing that it fell while we were doing our love and affection series. You know, we've been talking about so many loving couples and like, wow, here we are. Now and I'm you're one married. of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the first most exciting thing upcoming. But the second most exciting thing is that after the, our love and affection series is over, we will be watching time travel episodes for the next series. And I am so epically excited for that. We announced that at the end of our last podcast. There's so much to look forward to. I'm going to be a missus and we will go back and meet Edith Keeler is coming up soon. <laughs> That's so true. Oh my gosh. I'm very, very pumped for this. And Ashlyn, just congratulations again. Thank you for spreading more love into the world. Yeah. Thanks for being with me <laughs> in this love world. <laughs> You're very welcome. So today we are discussing the love and affection in Star Trek Picard, which I got to say was a bit of a challenge because this is not a show about love and affection or this is not a crew that is very close to begin with. So we wanted to dig a little deeper. And the first thing that we wanted to talk about is actually in the Star Trek short treks called Children of Mars. I'm sorry, Rihanna. I'm wondering what your favorite ship is for Picard. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> I know you're ready to just dive into these episodes, but what's your favorite ship in Picard? 
my favorite ship in Picard is easily Rafi in Seven of Nine. We get oh. a tiny glimpse of them at the end, but I'm already thinking about the possibilities. I think that they are badass women who would be a power couple. And they're also both going through a lot and dealing with a lot of trauma. And I feel like they could help each other out. And I love the scene at the end where they're holding hands. It just sparks this love for me, especially because I am a woman loving women. So it's just nice to see it on the screen. Nice to feel validated and also nice to know that my guesses about Seven of Nine being probably bi or lesbian or something came true because I was really kind of feeling that vibe in Voyager and wanting it to happen. And so I'm glad that they're finally making this character more fleshed out and exploring her sexuality. Same with Rafi. I just love the two of them. We know probably if you've heard us talk about Picard on previous podcasts, like the family one, you got to hear me talk about how much I love Rafi more than most people do. (laughs) So I'm just really excited to see them grow together. It's just very exciting that a ship of mine can maybe become canon soon. So (laughs) (laughs) that ship will soon set sail. (laughs) (laughs) So Ashlyn, what about you? What's your favorite ship in Star Trek Picard? It's hard for me to choose a ship because Mm -hmm. even though they have established relationships, I don't like most of them. So I'm going to have to go actually with my favorite ship is Troy and Riker. Yes, (laughs) great one. (laughs) No, I mean, for real though, it's Seven and Rafi. I try to say things so I'm different than you so we don't have just a monocentric podcast, but... (laughs) I mean, truly, I was thinking a lot of the same things that you said, and it does make me excited to see how much we can explore their relationship in season two. Also, I'm really hoping that we get to see some Beverly Crusher in season two because I want to ship Picard and someone, Mm -hmm. but there's no one to ship him with, you know? like they're all way younger than him. (laughs) They're way younger, yeah. Oh, also, maybe my favorite ship are the two Romulans that live at his house. (laughs) Oh. They're so cute. They're so sweet. I love them. I think they're already married, but like, I love them. (laughs) No, you can still ship married people. That's great. (laughs) I mean, you're shipping Riker and Troy, so. Yeah, it's true. It's true. (laughs) That's great, Ashlyn. I am very excited to dive into these episodes. Would you like to tell the listeners today which episodes we watched for this podcast? I would love to. So to prepare, we watched the short trek, Children of Mars, and then Nepenthe, Broken Pieces, and Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2. Yeah, that's it. Yep, that's it. (laughs) I mean, Picard is a short season. I think we got a lot out of the episodes that we did watch. I agree with you that it was hard to think about love and affection in Picard, but just a little teaser for you all. I think that my perspective on the show has totally changed because I was watching these episodes, viewing it through a love and affection lens. So I'm excited to talk about that a little bit later. But before that, let's talk about the Children of Mars. And one of the most quiet short treks because there's only dialogue in the first couple minutes mm-hmm. and also one of the shortest short treks. <laughs> And also one of the most powerful and best ones, in my opinion. So 
this is the reason why I steamrolled through our shipping portion of this because I really, really want to talk about Children of Mars. I want to congratulate the creators for the way in which they did this short trek. It actually reminded me, because it's Oscar season, the Oscars are on my mind a lot. It reminds me a lot of the live action shorts that the Oscars nominate. It had the same sort of feel of big production, a lot of hard work. They really, really pulled out all the stops for this one. And I feel like it's a really important one to do so because they're telling a super important story and a really tragic one because we do not get a lot of glimpses into the Mars attack. The only reason I know so much about it is because of the book, The Last Best Hope by Una McCormack, which I talk about every time we talk about Picard because it sticks with me. And in the book, they went through a lot of the devastation that happened with Jordi LaForge dealing with the pain of survivor's guilt and different families being torn apart. But we're also sort of seeing it from a removed viewpoint in the book because Picard is so far away when this happens, the news reaches him, and then it's sort of turned into this political thing. And it's the whole reason that they pull back from the Romulan aid mission. Mostly in the book, we're given the repercussions of the attack and not the grief of the attack and what was truly happening. And so I think that this short trek expertly tells us the story from these two girls' perspective who are completely escalating and bullying each other. They are getting out their frustration of having their parents be absent on one another. We have these two girls. We have Kima, whose mother is an anti-grav rigger on Utopia Planitia Shipyard. And then we have Lil, whose father is a quality system supervisor at the Mars Orbital Facility. So both of them are introduced as having parents who are working on Mars. And at first, I'm just like, cool, cool, that's nice Mars. Not having no idea what time period this short trek is set in. They have a beautiful version of Heroes by David Bowie, but it's actually sung by Peter Gabriel. And this is actually the same version that they played in Stranger Things during a very intense moment. I don't want to spoil Stranger Things for you guys. I was really glad that they thought about using this version because I think Peter Gabriel does it absolutely masterfully. And I love David Bowie and anyone who honors David Bowie is automatically good in my book. I think it's an important thing because Bowie was very into space. He would probably be over the moon that his song was being used in a sci-fi short trek. So anyway, I just wanted to say that this was a really powerful song to choose because it comes at the time where they're bullying each other and attacking one another, essentially. I mean, they come to blows, these two girls. And yeah, I just thought that the beginning of this episode was really powerful and set up so well. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a shame that short treks can't be considered for nomination for the live action short treks for the Oscars because they're not part of movies Mm -hmm. because it's through TV episodes. I mean, someone please write us, please tweet us if we're wrong about this because I'm always surprised that these short treks are not nominated for something, even if it's for Emmys. Anyway, yeah, and I also agree with you. Peter Gabriel's voice, just mostly acapella, is gorgeous. I mean, he has a beautiful singing voice anyway, so I also really applauded this choice of music because the whole time we're seeing them bullying each other, it's obviously they're taking their frustrations out on each other because they are alone. Both of them seem like they're loners. They don't have any friends. Lil seems like she doesn't have a good relationship with her dad. We see her hanging up on him for the call when he says that he can't come home this year. There's so little dialogue, as I mentioned before, and so we can tell everything about these two girls just by about a minute of watching 
watching them having these exchanges with their parents. So clearly they're taking out their frustrations of, I'm totally alone. We don't have our parents here, no matter what the situation is with them. So when Heroes was playing over that and we see the bullying continue to escalating, I was really wondering why they chose the song Heroes because it doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. these girls are not being heroes. They're being terrible to each other. They're being really violent, making one of them late, getting them in trouble in class, tripping them in the library, and then starting this all-out fight. At the very end, we see, and of course, it's first contact day, which is an extra mm-hmm. plunge in the heart. We see the principal is about to talk to these girls about their behavior, the Vulcan principal, and then that's when the news breaks about Mars. And I mean, I don't know what kind of school this is that has just like news playing in the foyer, but I I was like, wow, they're really playing everything that's happening. I guess I'm imagining similar to what happened on 9-11 in America. That's what I was just going to say, yeah. Where everybody just called their friends and family and loved ones and said, look at the TV because something crazy is going on. At least that's what happened in our family. I've heard similar stories because what other ways is there to get the news? So then once those events are unfolding and the girls they take each other's hand i am now understanding they can be heroes is about they're gonna have to be brave now Mm -hmm. they're gonna have to put aside their issues because Mm -hmm. this is a much much bigger problem than just some minor bullying absolutely this may seem like an odd episode to choose for love and affection but i think it works really well because these girls do set aside their differences and realize, hey, we probably just lost our family. And so we have to come together and stop fighting. And it's one of those situations when something bigger than the two of them makes them realize they're petty arguing. And I love when they're holding hands at the end and crying. And I can't imagine the kind of grief that they're going through. But I'm really, really glad that they have each other in this moment because they may not even realize that they both have parents on the shipyard. But either way, they are there to help one another through it. And I really like that it leaves it at that. It doesn't really go on after that because when heroes, they say we can be heroes just for one day. And I think the one day thing is also really important here because this is probably the biggest, most tragic day of these girls' lives. And you're exactly right. They have to be strong and together they can prop each other up and help each other be strong. And then hopefully these girls get help later on. We can always Mm -hmm. hope, but I just really think this is a beautiful episode and something that really sets the tone for the kind of things that the show Picard is dealing with. It's dealing with the aftermath of the Mars attack and the synth ban. And we hear, like we talked about in our family episode, that that's the reason that Troy and Riker's son is unable to survive is because of the synth ban. And so it's all this domino effect of events playing out. And I really am glad that we get to talk about this short trek as the beginning of that and really show that you can come together and help one another in times of crisis. And I think this is what we're doing right now. We're all virtually holding hands, maybe with people we wouldn't have done otherwise. And I think that's really important to remember that petty differences can be set aside when more important things are happening and when we really need to be a shoulder for one another. Let's set aside those dumb differences. That was beautiful. Thank you, Brianna. I love Mm -hmm. your call for peace. (laughs) Like, come on, people. (laughs) It's about time. (laughs) The domino effect you're talking about, that also involves the two Romulans who are living with Picard in his chateau, Laris and Jaban, because they are 
refugees from Romulus and have nowhere to go. We know that Picard was trying to pick up as many people as possible, trying to be so involved in the rescue effort to rescue the Romulans. So it's very sweet and I really love the setup that he has at the chateau where it seems like they're both taking care of him, but they're married, living together. And I don't think he really needs full-time care. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. he can walk and he can feed himself and go to the bathroom and, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But mm-hmm. he clearly needs friends. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this unlikely trio has become close because of the same reason that these two girls became close in Children of Mars because a horrible event forced them together and they said it doesn't matter Romulans and humans can coexist who cares yeah. great to see how close their relationship is and I think Picard views them almost as a son or daughter absolutely yeah I'm really glad you made that connection Ashlyn I hadn't thought about that of them coming together through crisis, but absolutely, because since Picard was the leader of the relief mission for Romulus and for the outlying worlds that would be affected by the supernova, we, at least in the book, I'm going to talk about this book a lot, they Mm -hmm. show a lot of Picard on the ground, helping people, making connections, very much like the stuff he did back on Enterprise Days. He was out there meeting people, helping them, connecting them. And Picard continues to do this, even if he doesn't realize it. Even as he's in his chateau feeling like he's wasting his life away, he's still making connections with Lars and Jabon. And I think that that is just Picard at his core. When Dodge comes to him for help, he immediately helps her. He sets down his whole life for her. And he does the same thing for Soji. He decides to go on the run. <laughs> he will stand against a ton of Romulan warships to help people. And yeah, I think it's something that Lars and Jabon Bond really appreciate about him and they understand him very well because they saw him in this time of utter change and crisis and they were both going through that as well. And so I think that at first when I watched this episode, not thinking about love and affection or saw them interact together, I thought, oh, it's kind of transactional. Like they're helping him because he saved them. But I don't think it's that way. I think it truly comes from a place of love and care for one another. How they will kick butt and save his life when those Tal Shiar agents come. But also he will come to their aid and support them, you know, use them as sounding boards and crack jokes with them and make them feel better, all of that stuff. So I really think that, yeah, while it may feel transactional, their relationship, it really comes from a place of deep care and love and trust for one another. And I'm saying, where are they? Why didn't they come at the end of the finale? They should have been there. I feel like that would have been a really cool moment, having them show up with Riker or something. And I'm really, really curious to see them in the next season. I want them to come back and be a bigger role. I know that they're staying on the chateau making the wine or whatever, but I don't know. I would like to see more episodes with them in it to see their connection grow because because I think it's a really important one. I totally agree with you. And yeah, where are they in the finale? After Picard takes off on the ship with Rios, we do not see or hear from them again. So I hope they're doing okay. And I hope they know that Picard succeeded and saved the universe again. I also think this is an important moment in that pilot episode where Picard gives his interview about the anniversary of the Mars attacks. And he ends up having an emotional outburst. And he says exactly what he thinks. And we see them, Laris and Jaban hold hands. 
friends. That also tells me how deep their relationship is between the three of them because Picard is being an ally to Romulans. He's saying this is their perspective. This should not have happened. This is disgusting. And everyone else is afraid to say that because the ban on synths shook the society so much that now we're afraid to even say the name. So I thought it was a beautiful moment that he's not afraid to speak out on behalf of his friends. Yeah, it seems like a really good thing they have going, even though Picard is really going through it. He's spending 20 years isolating himself, not expressing his emotion. He's still very much in pain about everything that happened and full of regret. It's beautiful to watch him come out of his shell as the season continues. I also just want to start bringing up a couple of patterns that I noticed. And this is what overall has been changing my perspective on Picard. When we think about John Luke Picard, most of us think about the TNG, beautiful maroon captain's shirt <laughs> and all the pips and everything. I also think about someone who's very stoic and not emotional and shy about expressing himself but he mm-hmm. will when he's with people he trusts like we see him do it with dr crusher and we've talked about all this go listen to our tng episode but i overall don't think about him as a loving person who's going to be spouting romance or how much he really cares about people to your yeah. face that's not who he is he keeps that all very closed down but what i think makes this show so uncomfortable is that the writers are forcing Picard to come into contact with people who he has to say, I love you to them. Almost every character in this show, he creates a very close emotional bond with them. And for me, that's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because that's not the Picard I'm used to. Some important examples of this are his relationship actually with Riker and Troy. We see them in Nepenthe. Picard has a lot more of his barriers down. And I think for this whole season, the more and more he's realizing I'm in deep and I have to really trust these people if they're going to listen to me. Mm -hmm. So I have to show more of myself. They are having dinner all together on Nepenthe and Soji has met everybody. She does not trust Picard at all. Soji does not. And she thinks, is this a simulation? My life is fake. Nothing is real. I can't trust anyone. Riker's angry with her. He says, I've known this man 34 years. And Picard's (laughs) like, shut it, Will. (laughs) Hang on. And the only thing that gets her to trust him is that Picard lets down his barriers even further. And he is very honest about his emotions. After he does that, she is able to also let down her guard and be honest with her emotions. I'm proud of Picard because this is something that I don't think he was emotionally ready to do in The Next Generation. And we see this over and over again that for Picard to survive, he has to change. Mm. And that's something for me being a diehard Picard fan is really strange to see. And this is exactly why Patrick Stewart took this role because now he's exploring a side of a character that he's never really got to explore in depth before. And how exciting is that? I was kind of understanding more and more as this went on. This is why I'm so uncomfortable watching Picard because this is a different Picard. This is a broken Picard who needs love to continue having meaning in his life. Thank you for saying all that. I really resonated with it. And I think something that also differentiates Picard, the show, from all of the other series we've talked about for Love and Affection thus far is that it feels like love does not come easy here in this series and we have to work for it. And I think that Picard is working for it. He's working on these connections. He cut ties with Rafi after he quit Starfleet. It's a mutually terrible 
end to a friendship for a while. And then we see him having to reach out again just to get her help because he knows she's one of the only ones who can help him in this moment. Or we see him reaching out to Soji, like you said. I think later it's also very significant when he's having a discussion with Soji. I believe it's in Broken Pieces where he has to admit, she's like, did you love Data? And he's like, yeah, I guess I did. Realizing it for himself and then saying that essentially having to bear his soul to her about Data and about how proud he would be to see Soji here. And he's really creating an emotional connection with her because you're right, that's the only way that he is able to form trust with this crew because this is a prickly crew. It's a group of people who have a really, really hard time emotionally connecting. It's very easy for some for a crew like Deep Space Nine or Voyager or Discovery to bond because they have gone through so much together, but they're also in a normal circumstance for the most time. They're just exploring or they're trying to get home. And I think that the way in which the crew of the La Serena come together is very disjointed and difficult. And Picard describes them as rather motley. And he describes the crew of having a lot of emotional baggage. He does too. And I think that this is why when they do show love and affection for one another, it's very powerful and it's really important important, but it's hard. It's like pulling teeth for most of these characters. I mean, Rafi has her own baggage from her family. And I think that Picard is the key element of bringing them together, even though he may not want that. He may not want to be this emotional glue that's holding them together, but he absolutely is because he is able to access that vulnerable part of himself but it's so hard. And I think you're absolutely right. That's what is making a lot of the viewers so uncomfortable about this show. But it's something that completely changed the perspective of how I watched Picard through this love and affection lens because I was like, wow, when you look for it, it's deep emotional bond that this crew has, even though we get it halfway through the season <laughs> is when we really start to see it. But these bonds that they're creating are forged in fire and they are essential to their survival. We see Agnes betray the crew and they nearly die because of it. And so when she finally tells the truth about what she did and the chip that she's being tracked by and she sacrifices her life for the crew, that's when things start to change. And that's when they can start to learn to trust one another in these different ways. And I don't want to talk about Rios and Agnes because I think it's a really weird and forced relationship. But I think that was the turning point is when she sacrificed herself, Rios realized, oh, okay, she's changing her ways. We all had moments that we had to change. And we're not just all golden children of Starfleet. We're not these upstanding people. And I think that they can all understand that maybe all of them have done bad stuff and have done stuff that's morally questionable or done things in times of panic or crisis that weren't the best decision. And they forgive each other for that as well. And I think that that is really essential for this crew to get together and to bond. But Ashlyn, I'm really glad you made that connection. In the finale of the episode, the peak of it is when it's a total standoff between the Romulans, Starfleet, and the synths. Mm -hmm. Soji's about to activate the beacon and Picard just interrupts their Zoom call and he's like, wait a second, I got something <laughs> to say. <laughs> Picard went off mute. Yeah, 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 exactly. And we've seen this how many times in The Next Generation where a great speech by Picard saves the day. That's kind of his thing. So again, he's doing it, he's doing his thing, but this speech is not about diplomacy or right and wrong. It's about love. 
This whole speech is him saying that Starfleet is here backing up the synths against the Romulans because we trust you and we don't want to kill you, even though every Starfleet admiral would disagree with him. But it's fine. He's John Luke Picard. I think it took this whole season for Soji to really come to trust and love Picard. And so when he's able to be extremely vulnerable in front of the Romulans, it was reminding me of Kirk and Spock where Kirk's about to hug Spock and he says, not in front of the Klingons. Like, but Picard doesn't care. He's like, in front of the Romulans? Okay. It's fine with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I love seeing Riker's little smile as he watches it because how many times has he seen his bestie save the day like this? But I thought it was really great that Picard really had to break through his own issues in order to help save Soji. She's not going to listen to anything else except honest, raw emotion from him. And that's exactly what she gets and then it all works out. I'm so happy, obviously, that Picard survived. I was worried that we were going to get a death and just have one season at Picard. Mm -hmm. So thank God they had that golem laying around and they can (laughs) just, just you know, transfer bodies. But Picard connecting with an android with a synth is what saves the day. And it's his friend's daughter, Loki. So Yes, exactly. This is an important scene too because she's like, how do I know I can trust you? And he's like, because I'm giving you my life, essentially. He is literally prepared to die for someone he just met, (laughs) essentially. I mean, they've known each other, what, less than a week? And so he is really having to be in this vulnerable position. He knows that he doesn't have much time with his illness anyway, but he's going to do everything he can before he dies to show what true respect and love and compassion can do. He's not going to give in to the Romulan's fear and hate, even in his lost moments. He's using his death as a catalyst of showing his trust, which is just so Picard, the most Picard to ever Picard. Like we say that Picard is very different in this show, but at his core, he's still... Yeah. Captain Jean-Luc of the Starship Enterprise, you know? Yeah, I just am really proud of him in this moment. And I'm really proud of Soji that she made that choice. And I think when someone literally is willing to die for you, that puts things in perspective, especially since it's a organic person, you know, willing to die for a synth is so important. And I think it's also a way for Picard to give back to Data and show I will sacrifice myself for your daughter because you sacrificed yourself for me. Ooh, if that doesn't pierce you in the heart. That got me i actually am tearing up right now oh yeah i think the impact of picard giving his life for soji is so important because this whole show soji has only been betrayed picard is the only one to accept her for who she is i mean yeah we see like agnes is like excited about her eyes and, that and her mucus, mucus and stuff. yeah and i know riker's daughter Kestra, and yeah. you know all the rikers accept her but i think that's kind of shoehorned in because mm-hmm. they're picard's friends yeah picard being able to show her that this world world is not awful. There are people like me in this world and I'm not alone. There are many, many people who can accept synths because it's better for everyone if we're all in, you know, diversity. I keep saying it. Diversity is good for everyone. The data scenes are so special at the end of the finale. I mean, Brent Spiner, I hate him at conventions, but I can't take my eyes off him on the screen. Yeah. He is a fantastic actor. I know he does such a good job differentiating between the human uh, son, yeah, Yeah, the human soon versus Data, because pretty much we get glimpses of Data during Picard's dreams in the beginning of the pilot and in some episodes. But when we actually see full-fledged Data in this 
simulation. It really is him. And yeah. he's still kind of naive, but mm -hmm. also you can tell that he has developed emotionally because he's been alone in this void forever. It's such a beautiful interaction. And what I love maybe the most is that Picard is actively happy. He does not smile too much. Even in TNG, yeah. he's all about seriousness and duty. Like that's Picard. Totally. And so he's giddy when he gets to see Data again. He's like, oh man, this is amazing. He's like, am I dead? Are right? you dead? I, I like, I don't know what's going on, but it's amazing. <laughs> and imagine Picard has lived with regrets of Data's death for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he finally gets to say, I love you. And I'm sorry that you sacrificed yourself for me. And he gets to say everything to him that he's been holding down for this whole time. And Data's really been weighing on his soul. And so the yeah. fact that they can have this conversation is effing amazing and beautiful. This scene is transformative. This connection, Ashlyn, that you're talking about, Picard says, I never told you that. He like can't really get it out. And Data says that you loved me. And then Data goes on to say, but I always knew this. Picard just talk about euphoric you know i mean he looks absolutely over the moon he's so so thrilled to know that data knew that he loved him i just i think this is a beautiful beautiful moment i think you're exactly right that picard gets to get this guilt off of his chest and to feel free of that has got to be so incredible he has this great interaction where he says i always wish i said i was sorry that it was you and not me and then Data says, then why would you imagine I regret sacrificing my life for yours? Data turns it back on him and is like, but if it was you than me, would you regret it for even a second? And Picard's like, of course not. And so I think it really gives Picard that perspective that he needed to be like, well, then why would Data regret it? Like Picard said, the most Data thing he could do and sacrificed himself. And it's beautiful. I love the support they have for each other and such a great, great Data moment and a great send off for him, I think. It was really cool that they talked about how Data wants to experience the most intrinsic part of humanity, which is that it's finite. And Every philosopher will tell you this. That is the crux of humanity, is the finitude of it. I think that it's really, really cool that Picard absolutely understands that right away. He doesn't protest. He's like, no, I will release you. What a great goodbye. What a beautiful moment. I absolutely adore the one shot we get of Picard in his old uniform and Data's in his and Blue Skies is playing. I was just a weeping mess the first time I saw this because it's so beautifully done and a gorgeous send off. Yeah, Blue Skies always gets me. Well, also, I love Picard's speech because he's pulling out, it seems like USB drives when he <laughs> is taking away Data's consciousness. I don't I don't think they're really USB drives, but that's what it looks like. He's just like, all right, this hard drive's ejected. Now this one. Beautiful speech for Data's eulogy. And I love that he says, it's beautiful that this life is rounded by sleep. We start from nothing and you end with nothing. And for Data, that's something that he's always wanted because he's always wanted to be human. Mm -hmm. And he's getting what he wants and he's having a fulfilling life. His soul was the most human. I mean, Kirk said it. Yeah. <laughs> just such a powerful episode such a powerful friendship yeah it's painful to see this beloved data get to go but i know brent spiner said i'm sick of cameos so yep. you gotta kill me in this one <laughs> like official this time yep <laughs> i was gonna say and this is a total spoiler for the good place so skip ahead like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear data talking about wanting to have 
his life be finite reminds me of the finale of The Good Place Mm -hmm. where they are all in The Good Place finally, but they are getting bored because heaven is too amazing and they're just all numb to it, that everything's amazing and life never ends and they end up creating a door where you can not exist anymore. So I thought it was great that Picard was doing The Good Place before The Good Place was doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Absolutely. I was definitely thinking about that as well. I wanted to talk a little bit about the others in this episode reacting to Picard's death because I think this is a very telling scene for each of them. Like we talked about, it's definitely a disgruntled, begrudging love (laughs) in these episodes leading up to the finale where we see this crew starting to bond, but it's hard. And we have Agnes betraying them halfway through. We have Soji joining at the tail end, Rafi stowing away, Seven of Nine popping in and out. (laughs) Yeah, or Elnor joining and then going to try to save Hugh and then losing Hugh and coming back and you know, a lot of up and down here, but to see them all in one place together when Soji beams Picard and Agnes onto the planet and Picard is dying, I love how he addresses each of them individually, or even if it's not verbally, but first Elnor, he says like Elnor and he just looks at him and he crisses his cheek and holds him and it's just a beautiful moment for him to say goodbye and then he turns to Rafi and of course Rafi's like, yes, JL, what do you need? Like, I'm here. And again, it's just his way of acknowledging his people in his life and saying a sort of quiet, silent thank you for being there till the very end, for a thank you to Soji for not ending the world, (laughs) you know, all of these different things, for not being the destroyer that they predicted her to be for rising above that and I love that they're all surrounding him both physically and emotionally in this moment I think it's very powerful statement and it's something that a lot of people in life go through when they're losing a loved one just to surround them and to show them that they are so loved in this life it's also just horrible to see the grief that they go through within these 10 minutes I mean luckily of course Picard comes back so we can talk about this with the knowledge that he's okay but I think particularly Rafi and Elnor's interaction in this is acutely painful to me because Elnor is losing this father figure and Rafi is losing a best friend and a confidant and someone who she had just reconnected with who was giving her a chance at life again. I mean, Picard feels the same way with her. I feel like Rafi also gave Picard a chance at life and they were so close during their entire time with the Romulan relief mission. And so I think it's just so authentic how they just cry in each other's arms. We don't get a lot of like full-on sobbing in Star Trek because we have all these stoic characters who are Mm -hmm. Starfleet and must keep it in. But I think this feels way more realistic to the type of pain that you feel in that moment. And I love absolutely how Rafi is automatically protecting Elnor, just physically wrapping her arms around him, trying to shelter him from this pain, even though she's feeling it just as much. And I think it gives them both that space to grieve and to show their love for Picard and show their love for each other. And Rafi's pretty much just like, Mama, Rafi's got you. We will get through this together. But right now we just need to feel the pain. We've seen scenes with Rafi and her son. It does Mm -hmm. not go well. And so I think this might be setting up a situation where Rafi is kind of mama to Elnor, you know? I mean, the way that they were comforting each other. I also thought it was interesting just for filming-wise that they paired couples up together depending on their relationship with Mm -hmm. John Luke. And the closest ones are crying together. And then the separate ones, Seven and Rios – 
are not emotional, but still sad. I mean, I think Seven is like, oh man, that sucks. You know, like she doesn't know Picard. Yeah. We know Seven probably the second most on this show because of Voyager, but it's funny that she's just like, dang, that sucks. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was interesting. And it goes back to what we were talking about in The Children of Mars, that this crew is brought together because of something very tragic that happened. And Picard's death is really hard for them. And so of course, they're coming together to help each other. I think that Rios, it's a big step for him finally being able to talk openly about his dead captain who he mm-hmm. saw as his father. He did it again. He let Picard into his heart. He keeps letting old captains into his heart, which is mm-hmm. also a problem that I have. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I a really lot of Star Trek un- fans can relate. <laughs> <laughs> I really understood Rios. And Seven has a very dark revelation where she says, I did it again. And she's talking about she killed someone else because she thought they deserved it. Mm -hmm. So, whoa, Seven is off the beaten path here. She's just murdering. She's taking vengeance. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when she kicked that Romulan lady down into the pits of hell, I mean, who wasn't? And then she said, for you, who wasn't cheering? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think we can forgive Seven for taking revenge. It just makes me look forward to seeing what happens in season two, because Mm -hmm. if Seven is a normal part of the crew and she sticks around the whole season, I'm going to lose it. That's going to be effing amazing. I'm thinking about six expletives that I want to say when I think (laughs) about that. So uh, (laughs) I'm very excited to see where that journey takes us. Yeah. Suffice it to say the fun will commence if she stays. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that got me. That was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Fun will now commence. (laughs) I also do want to briefly talk about how Soji and Agnes and Dr. Soon react, which is by not giving up and being like, "Uh uh-uh, he's not dying today. This is not what's going to happen. Full out denial. We are scientists. We can get around this. There's a golem. Let's bring him back to life. Let's go. Like, we are not letting this happen, which is just interesting that that's sort of the scientist take. Granted, no one got Picard's permission to do this, so it's a little bit dicey ethically whether they should have brought him back, but I am glad that they gave him a timeline, and it's kind of funny when he's like, you gave me 20, 30 years? How many do I got left? And I do appreciate that that was their response to their grief is, Werner, not going to let this happen. We have the means to change it, and so they did. Yeah, I mean, they're scientists. They said energy cannot be created or destroyed, only transferred. So they're like, let's just transfer him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think it's very valiant that Dr. Soon gave up his own immortality for him. I think that that is very Starfleet of him. It's very much of moral value that I appreciate about him. He does not know Picard that long, but he is willing to give up his immortality. There's a lot of people who wouldn't do that. I was very impressed by that moment. I think the real reason he does it is because the writers needed a way to get a body for Picard. (laughs) But if I ignore that and just think about it's all about the narrative, I think soon baby soon saw the weight of the sacrifice that picard did to protect all of his children yeah picard single-handedly pretty much i mean yes with his like little crew but it Mm -hmm. was really picard who saved all the synths and reversed the ban that's huge i mean now he can continue his life's work and maybe get paid for it you know (laughs) like he could have a really amazing life soon could so i thought it's out of character for him to do that but because of the magnitude of what just happened i could give him a pass yeah (laughs) 
I'm like, you know, maybe this sort of opened his eyes to be like, oh, wait, this is something greater than myself. I need to do something about this. And maybe there was some persuasion from Soji and Agnes. <laughs> Data says it best in the little simulation. He said, the soons are, how do you say, an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And Picard's like, yeah. And everyone literally who's seen all the soon episodes in TNG is like, yeah. And <laughs> acquired all the, taste. All the soon episodes in Enterprise. He's just all over the map. It's very bizarre. But anyway. <laughs> right. Gotta hire Brent Spiner. He's a whole family of androids. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about this very devastating moment and sort of get your take on it of why Jean-Luc did this, but he knows he's dying within the next 10 minutes, maybe. He's on La Serena piloting with Agnes, and Riker is about to leave, and they have this really beautiful moment of Picard being like, well, I told you not to come, but here you are. And Riker is essentially saying, you know, I've got your back always. Like, all you need to do is ask and I'll be there in a heartbeat. Riker is on reserve. Yeah. And so he immediately jumped into a ship and captained it and (laughs) went to save Picard. I think, of course, that is a beautiful moment of love for Picard. But I think it's really hard to see Picard say goodbye to Riker knowing he's about to die, but not telling him not making any indication that this is going to be the last time they see one another. Ashley and I just watched Nomadland with our mom last night for the Oscars, and they have this saying of see you down the road because they don't know if they will see one another again, but they don't want to say the final goodbye. And I feel like this was exactly how Picard could deal with it emotionally. He's like, I cannot tell Riker that this is the last time I'm going to see him. And so when Riker warps out, He just says adieu, which in French is translated to goodbye forever. Because if you say au revoir, that means see you later. That moment just crushed me. And I'm just wondering what you think about this, Ashlyn. It makes me really sad because if Picard had actually died, I don't know if Riker would have forgiven himself Mm -mm. for not knowing. And he would have been angry at Picard for not telling him. Riker's one of his closest friends. But in these past 20 years, Picard has drifted away from everybody. Mm -hmm. I think also Picard is thinking, you know, Will lost his son not that long ago. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to put him through another death of someone that's close to him. And so it's kind of a cop out. And I think it's really, really horrible that he didn't tell Riker what was going to happen because Riker totally would have beamed down. He would want to be there for his final moments. Absolutely. For sure. He would love to be in that inner circle getting to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And this is again why I do have some issues with Picard and why it's like kind of clunky for reasons like this Mm -hmm. where it's just not as satisfying. But I know for creating this new crew in the show, they have to put them through something together to get them to bond. Picard is not one, as much as we're talking about him trying to be more open with his emotions and him being vulnerable with his crew. I think Riker is someone who he can't do that as easily with. And it's such a deep connection, such a deep friendship, brotherhood, honestly, that he can't be that honest to his face about this situation. You know, that's such a good point. And I think that there is sort of a disconnect between Picard not wanting to give up the person he was and the person that people still think he is from his old life. I mean, I think we all go through this when we go through times of great change in our own lives. And we talk to someone who knew us in high school or college. It's interesting to interact with them because I do feel like I have to slip into the role of who I used to be 
or they're like, whoa, you're a completely different person, which is totally fine. I think change in yourself is important and essential for growth. But It's the only way forward. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I think for Picard, he probably felt like he changed for the worse because of the drifting away, because of the self-isolation. And I really think a part of it is he doesn't want Will or Deanna or anyone from his old life to see him this way. And I think that is the... English major writer in me trying to reconcile why more of our beloved characters weren't discussed or interacting with in Picard. But, you know, a lot of the real reason is there's contracts and actors and it's hard to get Gates McFadden on an episode and not make it feel too much like next gen. Patrick Stewart didn't agree to come back to make next generation part two, yeah. the elder years. you know. <laughs> exactly. um, so I understand all of this, but you bring up a really good point. And actually, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, that is really sad. Luckily, you know, thank God for soon. Yep. And everybody saving him and transferring his consciousness. So, <laughs> yep. you know, that's what I love about Star Trek is now when you go down in memory alpha and you get to the bottom of the page, it's like, and then in this year, Picard switched bodies. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, love love Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rihanna, thank you for discussing Love and Affection with me and Picard. It is such a different series. And we keep saying this, but it's still true. It's mm -hmm. always going to be true. And once again, Star Trek is pushing me to think about things in a different way. And I appreciate that. And even if it's uncomfortable, it forces me to change and grow. Yeah. Just like all these characters that we've been talking about. So I'm excited to continue to view them through different lenses when we reach each of them in the various series coming up. So... Absolutely. Thank you. Thank Lovely you. words today. I was really feeling a lot of the data emotion. That finale always Ooh, rips me up. Same. Guts me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Ashlyn, I really appreciate you potting with me this week. And I cannot wait to talk about Lower Decks next week. This is going to be kind of a change of tone, which will be nice. This Picard episode was a little more serious. So Lower Decks next week is just going to be a freaking blast <laughs> because we yeah. just get to do a cha-cha dance and talk about the dog. So keep in tune. tuned. I was really thinking about Lower Decks and our upcoming episode next week, just seeing Riker on the Titan because yeah. that's our only connection into the Lower Decks world is, of course, Riker and Riker. Troy on the Titan. So. <laughs> Jonathan Franks will always be there. Yeah, whether he's on screen or behind the camera or even holding a pen to yep. write some words, <laughs> he's always here. Yep. <laughs> Ashlyn, thank you so much. And next time we talk, you're going to be married. So that's crazy. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That is a lot. That's very exciting. I will be married. Yeah. Yeah. And Rihanna, I'm going to see you soon. Rihanna's going to fly out for my wedding. Yes. We're very excited to have the Dura sisters in person. Can't wait. Please join us next week. Yes. For Lower Decks. I just want to thank Keeping Up with the Cardassians for doing a demo swap with us. So we are going to play their preview of their awesome podcast on here. So keep on listening and check out Keeping Up with the Cardassians. I'm Rob. I'm Nick. And I'm Joe. I love it. I think it's kind of meh. And I've never seen it. We're Keeping Up with the Cardassians. A podcast covering seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But that's not it. We go down the wormhole of pop culture life and garrick new episodes every monday on your favorite podcasting platforms you can also interact with the show on twitter at cardassians pod and just like the ferengi we can't wait to stroke your lobes thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast 
Please tune in next week for the next episode of our Love and Affection series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the loving relationships in Lower Decks. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, Star Trek Trivia, and the animated series. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arilla Voltaire. How many Betazoids does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One to change it, and one to say, Captain, I sense darkness.